and welcome to Spellcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and this is my co-host, Andreel. Greetings, friends. We're talking about something that's quite polar in nature. Uh, tonight, we will be talking about the aspects surrounding the entirety of the Divine Feminine. Yes, it's going to be a wonderful episode. Uh, we're going to have it in a couple parts. Um... You know, we have to obviously cover the Divine Masculine after this, but we figured splitting it up into these two halves would be a good way to go about it. Kind of keep everything um, digestible. And as you know, the old saying goes, ladies first. (laughs) Is that me? (laughs) I am the lady. Whatever you need to tell yourself to sleep at night. (laughs) Well, not that you can't have Divine Masculine and Divine Feminine within you, but... I would suppose I'd play the role of the Divine Feminine in this pair, because I am the woman. Oh, yes, and while I am a man very in touch with my feminine side, I I am very much a man, and anyone who has witnessed my physical form can attest to that. (laughs) Hmm, sounds like flexing to me. (laughs) Isn't that that new new meme nowadays, the weird flex, but okay? Oh, oh no, I don't know what that is. Someone's going to have to (laughs) clue me in on that. Sometimes I'm a little behind on memes. Oh, well, uh, essentially, what... What happens is that someone says something that they're proud of in a really weird way, and someone's supposed to say, okay, that's a weird flex, but okay. <laughs> oh, I get it. Okay, that's kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be covering the Divine Feminine. We have some really uh, special add-ons for you. We're going to talk about it in general and then kind of bring it into context with um, specific manifestations of the Divine Feminine. And one of those fun things is we're going to be traveling to the Far East a little bit. Well, yeah. The Middle East. Mi- no, no. The Middle East, Asia Minor, you, you would call. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yep, over in that area. So I'm not going to make it too specific until we get to it later, just to keep you guys on the edge of your seats. But we're finally tra- traveling to the eastern end of the world. So, Wonderful. Now, let's begin. So, the Divine Feminine. Usually, a big archetype that people think about in modern neo-paganism is the idea of the Triple Goddess. The Triple Goddess, much like the symbol, is often related to the, you know, the moon phases. So, we think the first crescent, you know, we think the full moon, and then we think the waning crescent. Waxing, full, waning and some people even try to incorporate the, the full to the new moon and the, the transition period. Um, now, and I will be talking about uh, goddesses um, in antiquity from different cultures that allied with each of those archetypes. Yes, uh, one of the things we really want to try to do in this episode is cover as many aspects and many different religious beliefs as possible. Um, of course, we might not get to everything because time seems to go farther than we're able to keep up with. Um, but we do want to make it clear about which um, part of the world we're talking about and which uh, religious beliefs or religions these are aspects of because the divine feminine is in every religion, I would say. Most every religion, unless, of course, it's something that it's a, more, a little more of a cult that people focus on one thing or the other. Um, but I'd say there's aspects of the divine feminine in, in most world religions. And so um, we're going to talk about as many as we possibly can during this episode. So if we do miss anything, um, we will try to address it in another episode. 
And I mean, also let us know if there's something you'd like us to talk about more in depth, something in particular, a certain aspect of the divine feminine, or talk about, you know, a certain religion more. So, um, continuing on, I suppose I will start uh, by uh, incorporating which deities uh, end up in each category when we're talking about uh, wow, virgin mother crone. I mixed the word maiden and virgin because those two can obviously go together. It's like maiden, virgin, you know, it's the same context when we're, when we're speaking about that particular phrase. We think of the youthful side, the early youthful sides of a, of a woman's life, which is often uh, equated with this uh, phase. So the maiden aspect, um, the expansion of the female principle, Represents the promise of new beginnings, new creation, youth, excitement, and the carefree aura of the subtle um, erotic tantalization that exists within pure feminine energy. Um, now, now, erotic is kind of a bastardized term in, in this day and age. We think erotic, the first thing that comes to mind is an erotic novel. Um, erotic doesn't, again, necessarily... Now, though it is connected with sexual energy, is not necessarily inherently sexual by an American understanding of that. Um, the maiden, uh, usually in Greek mythology... Uh, there are a couple that kind of sit in Greek mythology. So we think uh, Persephone and we can think mm-hmm. uh, Selene, you know, those younger uh, goddesses um, that kind of sit in that uh, archetype of the, the girlish allure, uh, so to speak. That, that different kind of purity, that gem, right? Hey, that's me, because it's Persephone and I align with her a lot. So I guess that makes a lot of sense for people that know me. <laughs> um. And of course, we think of uh, you know we the Roman equivalents can be uh, you know uh, can be equated um, in the same um, in the uh, in the Celtic aspects we think uh, the Tuatha Dé Danann we think of uh, the goddess Brigid or Breed depending on uh, where the uh, um, association uh, where the uh, wow I'm saying um a lot tonight I apologize I've been saying that the past couple of times. You're welcome uh, to sit down with some alcohol and just drink to the ums today, I guess. <laughs> that's today's drinking game. It's been the drinking game for a while. I did actually hear that in one of our first episodes. We said um a lot, and I was like, oh, no. Uh, the the problem is, I think, is uh, spacing out a little bit. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to keep up with everything and not give you too much silence, but in the grand scheme of things, time kind of slows down when you're recording. Yes, so, yes. and it's a lot to keep in your head. Honestly, all this stuff, because we want to do justice to everything we talk about. So it's a lot to keep in your head. So yes, uh, Bridget or Breed, depending on the region, uh, the translation of the name. Um, the lesser known goddess, at least to me, is, uh, I want to say her name is pronounced uh, Nimue, uh, N-I-M-U-E. Um, in uh, Norse pantheon, I tend to think of the virgin as... The goddess Freya, the uh, which is essentially the earthy, you know, the the vanier goddess of of uh, you know the safe. They're there. They're what you would call witchcraft in the the Norse pantheon. And when we talk more about the Norse pantheon in future episodes, we will further clarify that. Um, there are many other aspects in uh, other 
pantheons, uh, but we will obviously keep it brief. Um, to continue on, the next aspect, the full moon part of the uh, sequence, uh, is the mother aspect. The ripeness, the prime of uh, the female life, fertility, fulfillment, stability, power, the different type of power that exists within motherhood. And, and those of you who are listeners that are mothers know exactly what it is we're talking about. There's something about uh, defending your child to the death that causes you to be the craziest person in, uh, in existence, which is admirable and horrifying at the same time. Yes, a lot of moms grow that superhuman strength and are able to kick real ass. Arse, arse, my dear. Let's try to keep it censored. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Um, all jokes aside, uh, the goddesses that usually are mother aspects, we think of Demeter. Demeter was obviously the direct mother to Persephone, so for consisting with uh, strictly the, the Greek pantheon. And the Norse pantheon, I tend to think of the mother aspect as Frigg or uh, Frigga, depending on, again, the, the translation. The, the original translation of her name was just Frigg, uh, the wife of Odin. Um, sometimes she was, uh, in, in some readings, I read that she was allied with Freya, but I, I believe that they are two separate goddesses. Uh, Frigg always seemed a bit more stoic and again, a bit more motherly, whereas Freya kind of seemed, um, like this, uh, this tomboyish, uh, young lady, uh, with all the girlish allure at the same time. Uh, the, so we think of all the aspects really of motherhood, you know, the height of pregnancy, the height of female strength, the wellspring of life, uh, a different layer of compassionate empathy that cannot ever be explained. The most resonant, uh, aspect of, uh, psychic energies, uh, other goddesses of uh, motherhood. We think of Ceres, we think of Asharte, we think of... Uh, the Hindu Lakshmi, we think of Ambika, uh, and uh, the list goes on. Now, the final aspect, which is the waning uh, crescent of the moon, we think the crone, or, uh, you know, some people in, in some translations would even say the hag, but obviously that one has become a bit uh, derogatory. Um, I, I like the word crone. It has this, this vibrant sort of sound to it. When I think of crone, I think of like a liberty bell you know, ringing. <laughs> um, the crone represents wisdom, repose, a compassion that is refined with time and experience. Usually, and we've referenced uh, this goddess quite often, a goddess very near and dear to my heart, we're talking none other than the Greek goddess of witchcraft, Hecate. The wise, knowing woman and lady of the crossroads. And that experience that exists, you know, we, we think of also uh, death, the coming time of death. What age in the becoming a bit more earthy, so to speak, you know the darker sides of magic, not again, not necessarily evil, just misunderstood and a bit more powerful because things that exist over time, you think aging like a fine wine, a fine, fine wine, other goddesses of the crone. Uh, aspect, or at least the waning aspect, one would say, well, you could think the uh, Norse goddess uh, Hel, um, who resides over you know Helheim. 
from the Haitian Loa, you can even think Maman Brigitte. Which is interesting because some people surmise that Maman Brigitte came from the uh, Celtic, that's the word, Celtic uh, goddess Brigid, uh, when Irish immigrants were taken into slavery uh, to San Dominique. But somehow I think that they are separate entities that may have alighted uh, in some sense. I mean, the, the names are incredibly similar. Bridget, Bridget. Um, so other goddesses are uh, Oya, Sedna, Skuld. Some people, I think, would even say that the Morrigan might fall into the aspect of the the crone, you know, waning crescent. And even the uh complete aspect of the new moon which one could say is still alighted with the waning aspect when you're thinking of the traditional three and the triple goddess aspects idea archetype whatever you wish to call it so to really uh, discuss the correspondences of the divine feminine we must understand how those archetypes are separately and how they are uh, as they come together you know what they mean. You know the the greater the greater than the sum than the holes of the the sum, so to speak. And um, I would say too that it is possible to have all three of these um, aspects of the divine feminine uh, present in a person. You know, just because you are of a certain age and you might technically be in the maiden phase of your life doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be absent of the absent of the other two phases. You can have different versions of all three of those um, personifications of the divine feminine present in your life at any time. I mean, we know people that seem to embody all three, if not some of them, even if their age doesn't necessarily line up with their you know, that exact time. Well, there was a person who was very near and dear to mm-hmm. my heart. And I know when you're listening, you know exactly who I'm talking about. But this friend is, uh, she, she always reminded me of literal, pure down the middle. Virgin, mother, and crone. In, in a literal sense and in a metaphysical sense. In a metaphysical sense of just uh, where her moods and her... Her emotions take her, depending on what is motivating her. She can it can either be motivated by the passion and the the, the wide eyed the wide eyed wonder uh, in the the girlish aspect of the maiden, the motherly aspects that always are taking care of people, even people that don't necessarily deserve it, and the crone aspect uh, of the the ancient wisdom, the the cosmic entity of you know transcended nighttime so to speak and and quite literally this person also depending on where her pictures are and what's the <laughs> setting of these pictures she, she literally has looked either really young or like an older woman a very cute old woman i'll bait but you know. <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing to have all three together i think that's really cool definitely really interesting but uh you courtney i've always say you definitely remind me as a maiden and mother and i never really got a crone vibe from you though that's, yeah that's i think no... i'm i have a little too much of a cutesy thing going on very very girlish uh <laughs> sort of person e- even when even when dealing with animals when you're very motherly it's still very rooted in a very uh, maiden sort of aspect yeah well um my, my one friend did tell me that i uh I'm able to communicate on a certain wavelength, which is why I'm so good with animals. So that motherly earthiness is, you know, what's connected to that. And then 
I don't know, the main aspect being present, maybe that's the reason everyone says I look so young for my age. I will take it. <laughs> ah, so, if we talk about direct correspondences, we would obviously think the moon. Now, a big reason, so, and depending on which pantheon you go in, there's a lot of consistencies uh, statistically uh, within... Um, many different pagan you know, spiritualities, because there were so many, obviously. Yeah. There were ones that are more known, and there were ones that are lesser known. But a, a big thing that has always, in my heart, really confirmed and affirmed the, the idea that the moon and the nighttime were associated with the divine feminine as opposed to the sunlight and the daytime being associated with the masculine is something that's very obvious in feminine nature. The moon time, ladies. There's a reason why they call it the moon time. We're talking none other than your menstrual cycle. Now, typically, uh, healthy females tend to get it once a month. And what do we have once a month? We have a moon. We have a moon phase. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a blue moon, in, in which case you, you, know, you may have a... I don't, I don't know what they... I think the uh, the technical term for two periods in a month is misery. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely the general term. Um, yeah, and actually you can see the representation of the divine feminine in getting in touch with your lunar cycle, with really knowing your body and being connected to it, and the moon also being in control of the tides of the ocean, which water being a divine feminine element as well so a lot of the those pure things do divine, tie together uh, feminine element when, when we talk about uh, water and we'll, we'll talk about that more <laughs> yeah but Ooh, we excuse me <laughs> <laughs> that one slipped out nice uh, yeah he does you, it all the time yes for those of you who don't know me i'm a vocal performer and i swallow a lot of air because of the technical way that i breathe i also just eat a lot of good food because i cook a lot you know kitchen witchery right and that's his excuse for burping all the time no yeah it's a real thing <laughs> um but yeah it's interesting. I know we have covered uh, the element of water and its association with the feminine and all that, and it, the pure feminine. Um, but it's really interesting to have all of those things go together, and you can see it really easily. But yes, uh, continuing on with the correspondences. Um, uh, so yes, you think the moon, you think... In the four classical elements, you would think water and earth. Now, water being the pure feminine element, earth being the second feminine element with the masculine flair, with the masculine inside. I mean, just think about it from a very poetic, symbolic point of view. Is that the earth is very strong. We think the mountains, we think the trees, we think things that are uh, have a strong, firm base underneath. And I also think of, you know, a really good modern archetype, and I've referenced this before, if you, if you think of, you know, the Avatar, specifically the Avatar, the last airbender. Um, if you look at the personality traits of everyone that was there, the particular benders that were the main characters incorporated things that surrounded those ideas, mm -hmm. you know, especially the best ones. You know, Zuko was the pure element of fire, and he was the most angry and needed to learn to control his anger. Aang was air, so he was already very balanced and very wise for his age, but he needed to know when to exert aggression when it was possible. And that's, you know, it's a, so because the air is the divine, is a, is a divine uh, masculine element, but it's, it's the feminine masculine as opposed to fire being purely masculine. 
uh, which we will discuss more in the masculine episode. Mm-hmm. But um, look at uh, Toph versus Katara. You know, Toph was, you know, very firm. But, you know, her, her gruff exterior was not the absence of her, uh, of her girlish nature and wanting to be, um, you know, receiving certain things that were, were typical of that sort of nature. Um, but Katara was portrayed as a bit more feminine, you know, a bit, we think clean, we think a bit, uh, uh, a bit curvier. A bit, I would say more emotional. A, a much more emotional. I mean, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, bending blood was a very, you know, a very witchy idea. That character, uh, yeah. I want to say her name was Hama, which I want to say that name roughly translates to blood, which was hilarious. Probably. I would say if they did their research and someone probably snuck that in there. But yeah, yeah you can see her inner... Um, struggle with bloodbending, how it does appeal to a pure feminine emotion, but also her learning to control that and understand her dark side, you know, the dark feminine aspect, and really be able to control it and use it for something that is positive. And it's, uh, it's quite a, an interesting thing. Truth be told, we can do a whole occult episode just on that series because it, oh it was the, one of the m- most modern-day epics of, uh, of uh, modern neo-paganism. We should. Hey, if anyone wants that, you just let us know. We get enough people that want to do an Avatar episode and we'll make it happen. We'll just, we'll just shout out, be like, fa- be like <laughs> fangirls. Actually, you know what would be really cool is like uh, we have talked about the elements and everything in different episodes, but we can talk about it more in depth and then use them as our examples or something. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, and we, we think also about the, the movements that are associated with things that are earthy as opposed to watery. Um, water bending was associated directly with Tai Chi, whereas um, uh, earth bending was associated, I want to say, a little bit more. It, there was a combination of things going on in earth bending, but I want to say. One was associated with a, a praying mantis style of something Shaolin related. I, I could be wrong. Don't don't quote me on that. I know firebending was northern Shaolin kung fu, which is incredibly dangerous. Mm. Um, uh, you know, we think of the movements that are a bit more firm. So for that reason, like earth always reminded me of things that were a bit more uh, the the gruff tomboyish attitude, and we see that in those personality traits and those mm-hmm. character developments, and their their powers called for different things at different times. I'm definitely a tough. If you notice, she's very sarcastic, so must just be an earthy girl thing. Uh, it could just be a blind girl thing. But <laughs> is that a blind girl thing? I'm I'm I mean, very she's... sarcastic. I think it's just how us earthy people are. <laughs> And she had to, like, learn to have a sense of humor to, to deal with what was... Uh... Well, yeah, that's true. Sometimes you need cathartic humor when you do have something like that. Um, and we also, you know, we think about, you know, the creatures of the earth and all the things that uh, are symbolized in that as well. But when I look at water, when I look at the pure feminine aspect, water... Think about water running down your back in the shower or maybe you just got out of the pool and it's... Slowly caressing your face, that gentle sort of energy. I mean, uh, for all of our our, our male listeners or or people who, you know, have experienced a a, a sensual feminine uh, encounter in your sexuality. uh, Again, this is not exclusive to just people who are exclusively female, obviously. um, But it always felt like this tantalizing energy of a lover. Uh, The the slight uh, energies that... 
were were so gentle as opposed to something that's quite firm and and strong like a man it's strong in a way that's malleable it's strong in a way that plays with your insides as opposed to your outsides um the seasons that are associated with the two elements are the last two seasons of the year we are of course talking about autumn and we are talking about earth mm. now a good way to remember it is that you know autumn is the most colorful and in-depth uh, time of year, which causes the most emotional mood swings. And we think about, you know, we think about all the colors, all the contoured colors. And we think about, you know, how deep the ocean is. How deep the ocean is represents the depth of how far our feelings can go, especially when tapped into the divine feminine aspects. Mm-hmm. And why, you know, feminine emotion, I will always believe, is, is very different than masculine emotion and each other's understanding of such. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a good thing to keep in mind as well is to note your feminine and masculine sides um, in meditation, either with the strict purpose of finding this out or just, you know, in any other meditation you can incorporate this. But a great thing to do is find those different sides of yourself because like uh, Andrea had mentioned is he is very much in touch with his feminine side in a way that's healthy because it brings balance to himself. And I think it's important for anyone and no matter what way you identify yourself is to it, uh, see the balance in your life see where you can either bring more balance where there already is balance and i think a very happy person is somebody that is able to acknowledge that balance and have both because it's important to have both um as someone that you know is of whatever gender they are it's, I think this is important no matter what. I think it's a good thing to, to know about yourself. You know, understanding uh, the poles and the extremes help you understand what's in between. Um, to continuing on uh, is another reason why Earth is associated with the winter. Think about in the terms of our life. In the winter of our lives, we go back to the earth. You know, when we die, you know, you, you bury somebody, or, you know, you burn them, you know, they go back to everything. The idea is that your body goes back to the earth. You, you, you get the idea here. Not <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be too morbid. Yes. <laughs> Which but, makes me just a little sad because nothing against winter. I love winter. But winter is associated with my element of earth. And I'm not going to say it's my favorite season, even though I like it and appreciate it. Uh, fall has kind of always been my favorite season, but whatever, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are attracted often to what we need. Yes, well, I was a little water nymph when I was younger, so I guess there's always that aspect in me, too. Uh, so we think, uh, the aspect of change, we think fluidity, we think the tides and times, we think the... You know, the high priestess. We think of the oracles. We think of the inspirations of poetry. The idea of the uh, what surrounds being an enchantress. We think of, you know, the fates. We mm. think of the nymphs. We think of music. Uh, we think of pure darkness. We think of the underworld. 
we think of the sixth chakra, which has to do with the third eye, scientifically the pineal gland, which can help us induce uh, psychic connection, you know, in help us understand who we are at a deeper level. We think the dark side in general, folks. It's really easy to see just by talking about all these archetypes in a very direct way that if a linear thinking mind that doesn't understand how spectrums work will bastardize this and turn this into sexism mm -hmm. when studied in the realm of antiquity. Yes, very much. And little witch tip uh, to cleanse your pineal gland, stop using fluoride products well, it's, try not, to use an, well it's not cleansing it it's just stopping it from well, being from, further destroyed from getting more guck there's other ways you can do to actually remove whatever damage has been done but to halt anything is use no fluoride toothpaste just watch out with fluoride water depending on where you live how your water is treated um and also there's definitely i forget what the ways are i'll look them up and post them somewhere um, well, uh, turmeric, curcumin, uh, yeah. what's the cilantro? Well, I was going to say cilantro helps with heavy metals, so that's always definitely good to incorporate anyway. So it was a little green witch dip. Um, so you think of uh, Oasis. You think of healing sorts of energies. Uh, you can also think of destroying something from the inside out, which sounds unnerving and at the same time mm -hmm. completely... It, it sounds like an oxymoron with what it is I just said. Complete opposite. But in reality, you know, the poles of things are it, it can be much more similar. We we much I, I implore you as you all are listening to really think as as abstract as you possibly can and try to put that back together. Yeah. Think in a very macro sense, micro analyze it, and then put it back in the big macro picture. Yeah, which is what we aim to do and try to make that very clear. We hope it comes across uh accurately and clearly. In the realm of our tools in witchcraft, at least from a modern perspective, we think the bowl, we think the chalice, we think anything that is receptive. And a big, really easy way to, you know, understand it, ladies, simply look between your legs. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's you know, if I'm, if I'm to be as crude as possible. Well, no, I mean, it's a very accurate thing to say. I, I'm, it, it's the most obvious representation you have. Male energy tends to be projective, whereas female energy is receptive. This does not mean that women who are women are, are the absence of that and, and the same thing with males. It's just, you know, you can be very much on the inside something and overtly or outer shell is, is something else. Yeah, and, you know, it's good to embrace yourself for whoever you are. Um, but yes, you know, and we think about... You know, receptive energy. You know, look at everything in life. If you look at a lot of things, just about everything in life, it's, something's either a prong, something that needs to go in something, or something that needs to be the thing that encases whatever is inside it. Well, doesn't sheath come from something like that? Well, yeah. Okay, so the okay, can I say that word on this on this podcast? What? What? Uh, you, you can know. you can whisper it to me. Hang on, I'm gonna let him see if he can say it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so disclaimer: uh, we're not using it to offend anyone. This is just as an explanation. Th this is this is for e education purposes only. The word "cunt," which is one of my like a hard T. <laughs> yeah, is one of my my favorite favorite words. <laughs> okay, uh, that that maybe you didn't have to. Add. I one hundred percent needed to add that. You wanted to know if it was okay to say, and then you're like, okay, I'm just gonna go with it. Well, well, yeah. If the, if the door is open, you know, the, just run through. And run through it. Well, now we're getting a little so um, tiptoeing. Now we're getting a little Freudian, but uh, oh, <laughs> um, that word. Uh, 
originated. I want to say it was it was Latin, and the, and the word actually was it was a slang for the word sheath, and we think mm. sheath to a sword. But much like any quote unquote bad word, people started using a particular word that was a general generally used word. Started using it in a way that was crude, and then it became yes. bad. And that's the thing is. Uh, as Aziz Ansari says, is you can make anything sound like a curse word if you say it the right way. So it's all about intent, much like magic. Um, curses mean the most when there's a negative intent behind it. So if we do say something, it's only for historical purposes. Just putting that out there. Suppose as some people say would be the difference between cursing and cussing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, depending on what area of uh, America you're from. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that that word you know, meant the sheath, the sheath to the sword, and you know we we, we think about. You know that uh, that archetype, but look, look at everything now. You you know you plug prongs into outlets. You you know you you put things in the container. Uh, you know of whatever it is, a container, any sort of container. You know your Tupperware, your everyday things, your dishes, your bowls, things that receive that kind of stuff. Um, and what is usually contained around it is supposed to protect it. It's really that kind of interesting commentary about yeah, how protection like a mom. Yeah, that even though women are put through. 10 times more crap. You know, they're put through all the crap that men have to put them through on top of all their other things that they have to deal with. And somehow they still live longer than men. Imagine, ladies, if we didn't have to deal with all that crap, we'd live forever. Well, it'd be like in the Bible, where, like <laughs> people were living for like 900 years for some reason. Yep, started off with women for sure. And then the more stressful things got, it just slowly took away from that. But I but don't know. It's, it's, it's quite interesting because... The, the 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 sheath can exist without the sword, but the sword cannot exist without the sheath. The mm. sheath will, uh, I mean, the sword will eventually rust and you know be taken aback from the elements and slowly weather away. But the the sheath can still last, even though the sheath is has an emptiness w- without the without the sword. And you know we don't really see people carrying just sheaths around yeah. unless it's a very last resort. <laughs> Yeah, you just whack someone on the head with it. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm I'm being very figurative when I'm speaking about this, folks. Again, it, it, well, first of all, if you're if you're at this point in our series, and you know, what is this like, episode twenty two or whatever? Twenty two. Twenty two or something. Uh, we've, um, we've been through a lot of I episodes. I feel like haven't I we? should know this, and I'm gonna have to look it up. So. <laughs> if, it's not if, like I run this podcast. Right my now. point is, is that if you're taking me serious by now, then uh, you missed the point. That sounds like a you problem. Oh my god! Wait, wait, wait I got this. We're on episode 25. Is episode 25? No, this is technically episode... Yeah, 24 was sewing. So... Kind of. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing with Anchor is that if I don't publish episodes or I edit something and I have another version of something, it technically counts it, and so it is off. You're right. 15, 16... This is 22. Wow, you're right. Never mind. He was right. No, oh, yeah, down. Yes. Again, Anchor's confusing me. Fair enough. Well. Uh, go you. <laughs> you're not even the one that does any of the work on the computer and you know what we're doing. Um, a big thing that we would think of in the uh, feminine aspect is uh, the physical form. You know, think about... Uh, what, in a very primal sense, folks, you know, I, I get it, we're in the day and age of people being like, oh, I'm not trying to be shallow, you know, I'm attracted to just what's inside, and, you know, they're out of shell, you know, I'll, I'll just do it. It's like, 
Look, it's okay to, to – I don't know how to tell anybody this, but it is okay to like people for their physical forms. It's just if you're liking them strictly for their physical form, that's when you're going to run into problems. Yes, um, for sure. And that's the thing too is it's okay to embrace everything about someone. You don't have to say – you don't have to alienate things and say, well, I can't pay attention to it at all. But you also just shouldn't be a jerk. <laughs> so statistically, men – uh, you know, when in regards to being attracted to a woman, the first thing they're thinking about is physical, physical things, you know, and men are statistically more obsessed with the physical, with the physicality of a woman than women are obsessed with the physicality of a man. Women tend to find what's more on the inside. And that kind of goes back to other archetypes that we will touch on uh, either further in this or the next podcast. Yeah, I like your metaphor for this when... You talk about um, because men are seeking something more literal, more like uh, earthy because they're seeking that earth, that that tangible thing. And women are seeking something a little bit more intangible. So it's really cool to see that at play and kind of respect that as it is. Okay, so okay, literal versus figurative. Women are very literally beautiful the 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 ugliest the the ugliest like woman could not top the ugliest man and the prettiest man could not top the prettiest woman it and again that's you know that sounds very opinionated and I, again i'm not trying to ruffle any feathers here it's just you know i just you know i be a little frank. <laughs> I think I think what's happening here is he's saying that all women are really pretty and we can't be... This just, Basically, think women of, are awesome. Think <laughs> about the archetypes through poetry throughout antiquity, folks. Like, just men just painstaking, just throwing their lives away. Just to... Just to can I touch pretty... Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, think about it. Even the most sophisticated man... I'm gonna take that as a compliment. <laughs> ...will fall apart. And it's in the general... Again, in the general archetype. We are not... Yes. Once, this isn't all... This isn't all-encompassing, folks. No. Obviously, more variables come to mind when we're thinking of, like... You know, or we're thinking of homosexual relationships or we're thinking of certain, you know, other things. But I'd even argue that in homosexual relationships is that it's a it's a transference of things that they may be done a, like a switcheroo, so to speak. And I would say um, any of our listeners that are in any sort of relationships like that, please let us know. I'm obviously how things go, because we don't have experience with that and we don't want to at all say we're know anything we don't want to i don't know whatever the version of mansplaining is in this case but we definitely don't want to assume that we know more than somebody that's actually in a situation so if you want to explain or weigh in on that please please do we'd love to hear about it because we want to learn about everything so um but uh, yes uh, continuing on uh you know women uh their their physical beauty is is without you know is without comparison and like a, a male's uh, mental logical you know we think the the logical uh, you know left brain thinking uh, energies that are a bit more metaphysical at times a bit more intangible at times and we also think about like where you know they sit in regards to the chakras and we'll talk about the chakras in a, in a different mm. episode we've been meaning to do that for a while uh-huh. um, we always say that we'll get there we'll get there um we want to do that one with ignatius yes he he's very good with that so um we uh you know we think so whatever you attract in life is what it is you need to find within yourself mm-hmm. so 
women tend to be representative of things that are more physical. So we think the physical elements, we're talking about water and earth. Mm-hmm. Those are literal physical things in this world. Whereas like air and fire, there are things that are like kind of intangible, tangible at the same time. So opposites will attract, the poles will attract. If you pick up what I'm following, yeah. that's what's going on. And I think we're a good example of that too, because I ground you and you bring me up a little bit. So to have a very little example, I would say that it's us to kind of simplify what we were saying. Yes. Um, yeah. And actually, um, I, if you don't mind, I would like to put a cool little extra bit into this discussion about the divine feminine. Go ahead. Um, thank you. So we're now traveling to the east, people. Somewhere we haven't been at all lately. And... Uh, I really want to incorporate this more because, again, we are a fan of all religions and we love learning about everything. So this was inspired by my good friend on Instagram, Aqua Carvings, also Apurva. She's a lovely woman. Uh, We just did some business with her for the Craft Crossroads. Definitely check out her stuff. Gotta tell you, her crystals and stones, beautiful. And so this is inspired by her. So thank you very much. And we are going to be talking about the divine feminine in Hinduism. Also, she mentioned to me that it is Diwali in India, and that is a festival of light. It is a festival also where people worship a divine feminine entity. So I want to talk about it because I think it'd be really cool since it's happening right now. Um, Now, we did cover uh, that... There's always a divine masculine to oppose a divine feminine. So, you know, in aspects of yin yang, in Hinduism, it's Shiva and Shakti. So uh, we've heard of Shiva, I'm sure, and maybe even in general, if you don't know too much about Hinduism. Uh, and Shakti is his opposite. So she is the divine feminine in Hinduism. Uh, she is the primordial cosmic energy that represents the dynamic forces that are thought to move through the entire universe. And she is the, like I said, the personification of divine feminine creative power, sometimes known as the great divine mother in Hinduism. Um, she also is the manifestation embodiment of creativity and fertility. And uh, Hindus believe that Shakti is both responsible for creation and the agent of all change. Shakti is cosmic essence as well as liberation. And um, she's also associated with Kundalini and the mysterious uh, psycho-spiritual force. So she is very interesting. She has a lot of aspects to her and I definitely won't be able to cover all of it. Um, Hinduism is very thorough and very intense. (laughs) So again, Apurva or anyone that's Hindu, if you could give me a cool like cliff notes version or explain it to me that would be wonderful because i definitely want to learn more about hinduism and it's a lot um now since she is a divine mother aspect uh someone else associated with diwali and this time i want to talk about um lakshmi so she is associated with shakti now uh she's a hindu goddess of wealth fortune and prosperity she is the wife and the shakti energy of vishnu so this is how they tie together 
Um, Shakti being a divine feminine energy and the opposite of Shiva. Uh, Lakshmi is an aspect of this Shakti energy. Uh, and Lakshmi is one of the principal deities of Hinduism. Um, she is part of a holy trinity. And she is an important deity in a lot of different aspects. She is a goddess of abundance and fortune. And um, she is represented and worshipped in Diwali. So that's what's happening right now in India. It is a wonderful festival of light. It's beautiful. Um, Apoorva showed me some videos and pictures. I think it's really cool. And I would love to celebrate it. I think maybe next year or even, I mean, tonight I'm going to light a candle for her. But I would love to incorporate this into our practices because it seems just like a wonderful festival. Um, the Festival of Lights is celebrated every autumn in the Northern Hemisphere and spring in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, Diwali represents the spiritual victory of light over darkness, good over evil, and the knowledge over ignorance. So during this celebration, temples, homes, shops, and office buildings are brightly illuminated. Preparations and rituals for the festival typically last five days, with the climax occurring on the third day, coinciding with this darkest night of the Hindu lunar solar month, uh, Kartika. In the Gregorian calendar, the festival generally falls between mid-October and mid-November. In the lead-up to Diwali, celebrants prepare by cleaning, renovating, and decorating their homes and workspaces. During the climax, climax, sorry, revelers adorn themselves in their finest clothes, illuminate the interior and exterior of their homes with dias, oil lamps or candles, offer puja, worship to Lakshmi, the goddess of prosperity and wealth, light fireworks, and partake in family feasts, where mithai sweets and gifts are shared. Diwali is also a major cultural event for the Hindu and Jan diaspora from the Indian subcontinent. So this sounds like a wonderful festival. It is really a very, I would say, a very happy time. Um, now, it's also a little different because as we are in the in more of a pagan aspect, the Holly King won over the Oak King. So it's almost like an invitation of the darkness, an embracing of that darkness, and it's almost darkness over light, where Diwali is a victory of light over darkness. So it can't be directly correlated, but it's interesting kind of how they... Well, I would say the coming of the light. That's the idea of what, like, surrounds Yule, mm -hmm. you know, is that the, you know, the Holly King's win foretells his loss later. Yes. It also foretells the coming of the, you know, the goddess giving birth to, you know, the sun, you know, the, the, you know, the big light in the sky. Yeah. Literally, there's a reason why the term... Sun and sun, like the same word, different letter. You know, it's yeah. and it, it's very easy to see how those archetypes were allied, alighted in the uh, in the nativity in regards to Jesus of Nazareth and the Virgin Mary, yeah, and which is why the Virgin Mary is often referred to as a triple goddess, and which is why we see the the uh, the moon, and then we even see a lot of silver that surrounds. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, silver, so, and blue. silver, silver. By the way, yes, another correspondence, folks. <laughs> yeah, and I mean they say that. Well, we celebrate Jesus' birth during Christmas when he wasn't born 
in December, but Most we're celebrating likely born again sometime in spring, which right. also kind of brings again technically, light. Technically, again, yeah, makes sense. It could still yeah. fit in the archetype. So it's interesting how this correlates because things are fascinating to me when all different cultures through the world have similar aspects that they celebrate. So the divine feminine, the divine masculine, representative, like I said, in a lot of religions, um, the light over darkness representative in Diwali. They're celebrating this right now. Sometime when you might feel the darkness is coming, it might envelope you. It might be that time of seasonal depression, but they're celebrating that light that's still there, just like in paganism where, you know, Yule is coming um, during Christmas. People do light candles. You have lights on a Christmas tree. There's all these little things that are corresponding with each other. And it's really fascinating, honestly, the more you dive into religions and different ways of belief systems that people really are very similar. Even if things seem different or people celebrate in different ways, I think at the core, humans all are looking for the same thing. And it's really fascinating. So that's why I wanted to quickly mention about some uh, Hinduism to bring that in. I hope to study this more, to bring more Eastern religions into our talks, um, because that's an aspect that we'd like to expand on. I myself am very interested in Eastern cultures, so I'd love to equate those things to the Western cultures that we talk about a lot. And uh, we, I would say, call ourselves omnis, and so we like to embrace everything. Um, Yeah, so that was my... My little bit about Hinduism and Lakshmi and uh, Shakti. So I hopefully maybe one day we'll go into them a little bit more. Uh, it is, like I said, a lot to follow and it's very detailed and interesting. So one day we'll get into that. Uh, but all, all of my friends listening, if you are very familiar with Hinduism, if you'd like to talk to us about it, That would be wonderful. We would really, really appreciate that so we can learn more. Uh, Yeah. And is there anything else you'd like to go over about the Divine Feminine? Uh, Yes, I suppose to to sum it up, I suppose we can talk about connecting and, you know, general things to keep in mind. We should definitely talk about um, how to connect to the Divine Feminine aspect. I think that's really important because we're talking about, sorry, excuse me, that very, um, like you're saying, we want to talk about this kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for i keep thinking astral in my head and that's not what i'm talking about it's um describe it like when you're talking about thing abstract kind of but like so we're talking about the divine feminine but we want to bring it home in how to really incorporate not just talk about this in an abstract sense not just talk about it in you know a scholarly sense. But we would also, like to give you things that are useful that you can take and apply in your own practices yes. if you have not applied them already. For sure. All right. So <laughs> I, 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 Sorry. Thank you. I don't know why my brain just like <laughs> stopped. Uh, uh, essentially, there are some good techniques that you can do. Uh, in meditation, really going outside and sitting and lying down on the earth is something that can help. Obviously, it's getting a bit colder out. So, you know, perhaps in the spring or the summer, I mean, unless you want to, if, you know, you're clothed up, you know, it's all good. You know, I mean, I'm always a fan of doing things at at the very least half naked, but um, really you can sit, you can even sit on like a a chair outside and 
uh, put your feet on the ground. It could be your bare feet if it's too cold for you. You have Raynoid's uh, phenomenon. You know, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, please don't go numb. Um, um, really visualize uh, your roots uh, going into the earth. Really, you know, embrace that. Uh, really call on Mother Earth. Really call on, you know, Gaia if you work with, the, you know, the Greek archetype of her. And a wonderful thing to have with you, crystal-wise, is a Gaia stone. I've always been drawn to those. They're associated with her, and they are beautiful. So you can meditate with that. Um, and like he said, connecting your feet to the earth. That's actually something that was prescribed to my friend um, when they said that she had too much uh, young energy. They said that she had to go out and uh, sit beneath the base of a tree and meditate. That was the doctor's orders for her to absorb more of a feminine energy because she was too intense in getting things done she needed to just kind of like chill and be a little more laid back uh really you know really thinking about you know your feet in general you know friends it's uh you know it's a very interesting body part you know it's the only part that's connected to the earth constantly so we think that that body part in particular is the closest archetype to earth and physical things and darker things and you know it's a very bastardized body part especially in uh, American culture, but if you can really transcend that and understand why, you know, I mean, in my consistency, all people who like hate their feet or like have that or have like fallen on that that phobia, you know, that that standard American phobia that people think that they have, but they've just adopted it because they've just heard other people say it constantly, is uh, you know, really analyze like where your spirituality is. I've just seen a lot of consistency with people that are like flat out repulsed with that body part and a and a lack of spiritual connection. Yeah. Really uh, a lack of balance in general. It's also kind of that like little bit of hidden sexism in things that we don't always realize where people probably don't even realize they're doing it themselves, even if they talk about those things um so yeah definitely use that to embrace a divine feminine you can also do um a certain yoga pose which is really cool uh it's called the gecko pose so you would lie face down on the earth with your arms wide and elbows bent at a 90 degree angle with your fingertips on the ground this is a great way to connect to the Mother Earth. You can use whatever mantras work for you. You can sit in silence. But I thought that was really cool. It's really draw. So, you know, continuing on that, you know, visualization of energy you know, through your feet, through your fingertips. Imagine, you know, ask, ask the Earth and, you know, the divine feminine as to draw on that energy. Literally ask it. Make it your mantra. Repeat it over and over yeah. again. Ask to draw on those energies and then visualize and imagine sucking that energy up like yeah, roots in a tree. Don't become intimidated uh, if we ever say, like, to use a mantra or anything. It can be something very simple. It doesn't have to be this fancy sentence or, you know, you don't have to feel like you have to make it this big deal. It could literally just be, again, like, I, I want to embrace Earth energy or anything. I'm connected to Mother Earth. That's yeah, it. Really simple. You don't have to make a big deal about it. She'll talk to you. Trust me. It's uh, You'll feel overwhelmed with peace and passionate paradox at the same time mm. it, it'll drive you it's the most mad peace you'll ever <laughs> you'll ever find in your life mm, such as women right yes um <laughs> and uh you know really connecting with the idea of the moon you know keep in mind the phases what kind of aspects are you trying to imagine meditate on every phase of the moon and see how it affects your personality really get to the nitty-gritty in the core the the moon is the light the reveal in the darkness the epicenter of what it is you're searching for in that dark ephemeral, right? Yes, and especially women. I mean, again, we're all pretty in tune with our, our menstrual cycles. So really take note of how 
you feel every day of the month and associate it with the moon cycle and really see how you are connected to that divine feminine in yourself. It's it's a wonderful thing to be a woman and be able to have that direct connection to it and have it available so readily to us. During a meditation in the moon, you can imagine the pentacle. You can imagine the pentacle traced in silver moonlight and imagine the moon, you know, surrounding it and trying to connect with it. And just ask, I connect with the moon. Imagine your third eye opening. Well, visualize your third eye opening and maybe that light of the moon shining into that eye and then that eye returning that light, maybe creating a figure eight with that energy. You can combine these meditations together. You can do just one at a time. Mm-hmm. They all work. <laughs> yeah, they're all wonderful. And another uh, way that you can connect with the divine feminine energy that I think most people have this in their home nowadays is your Himalayan salt lamp. I have two of them. I asked for them for Christmas and I got two, which was awesome. Um, So now they activate the divine feminine within, they purify your air and they create negative ions, which reduce harmful electromagnetic fields and truly support an uplifting mood. And I can tell you that my intuition always tells me to turn on my salt lamp whenever I see those shadow people or I'm having some sort of, um, you know, that otherworldly like ghostly presence and electromagnetic fields are associated with, you know, spirits and energy like that. So I take it that my intuition is just there looking out for me (laughs) and I always feel calmer when my Himalayan salt lamp is on um, with us and everyone being on their phones and computers so much especially if you watch a movie before you go to bed or you're on your phone before you go to bed turning on that salt lamp while you sleep really helps fight an overload of electromagnetic uh, you know field and uh, creates the negative ions to help balance that out for you Uh, So that's a wonderful way you can connect with the Divine Feminine. Of course, you can have your healing crystals. Like I said, the Gaia Stone, Rose Quartz. um, Kunzite is a pink crystal associated with the Heart Chakra and the element of water. So that helps activate your heart's knowing, emotional healing, and the vibration of divine love. Amazonite is a gorgeous turquoise, and its properties suit its fiercely exotic name. So it merges the feminine and warrior energies, and it's a very empowering stone, balancing female and male energy in the body. And, uh, you know, that's something I think is also a great way to start off, because if you're a little bit intimidated by maybe doing things that sound more complicated or, you know, you just kind of want to start off simple, Himalayan salt lamps, crystals, really easy. And, uh, you know, self-care, take care of yourself, have a spa day for yourself, Celebrate beauty everywhere you see it. Um, Fall is a really easy time, I think, to embrace the beauty of the world because everything around you looks so gorgeous. And be advised that it's coming up. Yule, you know, midwinter is, you know, the darkest night of the year. You know, and the darkness really is that feminine energy, folks. Mm -hmm. So really keep that in mind. And I I think that might be a good place to finish uh, with this. If there are any questions or other things you'd like for us to cover, any questions, comments, concerns, you know, we've been doing this, uh, you know, we got 22 episodes, folks. So, you know, we're always accepting uh, of, uh, you know, uh, constructive criticism. So please keep us posted. Yes, of course. Let us know. We'll always go back and correct anything that needs correcting. And, you know, we're all learning. So we uh, are appreciative of anything that you have to offer. 
So thank you guys so much uh, for sticking with us for 22 episodes, for being here. If you just tuned in, that's great too. Thanks for tuning in. Um, our sew-in episode is has almost as many listens as our first episode, so that seems to be a really popular one, and I'm very excited that it has over 400 listens. So thank you everyone that listens to any of our episodes at any time. We really appreciate this. We're doing so well with this podcast. It really makes us happy. Now that we have Patreon, um, you know, there's ways that people can support us uh, financially, and we really appreciate that. If you can't swing that, that's okay too. Share us, talk to your friends about us, rate and view us. We can't say enough how much we also appreciate that. And if you want to join us on Facebook, we have the Facebook page, Spellcast Podcast, and the Spellcast Podcast group. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much. And remember, there's a little witch in all of us. And remember, the spirits live in the mirror. <laughs>